Hey, let me welcome you again to H2O. Thanks so much for being here. I'm Matthew. I'm one of the pastors, and really appreciate you guys, especially being here on a holiday weekend. Um, we are in this series right now that we're calling Collide, which is really just a chance for us to look at the encounters that Jesus had with people. There was this collision that happened, even in Jesus coming to earth, because Jesus is the eternal, pre-existent God who became human and sort of collided. It's a collision of heaven and earth. And what we see in the Gospels are these stories of Jesus meeting people. And then a lot of times there was this real collision and there was change that happened uh, as he interacted with them. So we're excited to be in that and just really to talk a bunch about Jesus because we're all about Jesus here at this church. And so first I would like to uh, share a story with you guys. How many of you have been to Disney World? Show of hands. Okay. A lot of you. Okay, so my family loves Disney, and uh, I, I realize I maybe just lost a fraction of you uh, right now, and who now think that I'm crazy. But we love it. I never went as a kid. Uh, I went as a grown-up, and like the moment I walked through the doors of the Magic Kingdom, I just became a child again. So it was truly magical for me. It's okay. You can laugh. It's, you can laugh at me. Um, but so the first time we ever went, I remember this moment where uh, late at night they do fireworks over the, you know, the big castle, and it's truly magical. And, and like, there's a narrator who's kind of talking during it, and they're saying things like, you just have to believe and all of your wishes will come true. That's like the, like the ultimate Disney line. Just believe and your wishes will come true. So um, when we go to Disney, we get every penny out of the cost of that experience. So if the park stays open till 2 a.m., we stay until 2 a.m. So my kids, they were real little. I think Mason was like maybe four, four or five, and Phoebe was two. And so the fireworks end. Most good parents left, you know, with their kids. And we're like, let's go. We got two more hours. Let's do it. And so we divided and conquered. And so I remember walking over this bridge to go ride some ride with Mason. And he looked up at me and he was like, I can go to Disney World every day of my life. And I'm like, what? Like, where did that come from? And he's like, so I asked him, like, what, what do you mean? And he was like, well, yeah, because the guy on the speaker just said, you just have to wish it, and it will come true. And so we can, I can come whenever. And I was like, Mickey Mouse, you little liar. You little filthy, <laughs> dirty little, so I'm breaking my son's heart at the Magic Kingdom. I'm like, nah. This is for our family, like this is like once every couple years, maybe once every three years kind of thing. It's not every day, but we'll talk about it later, son. Let's just go ride the ride for now. Um, and the story is interesting because it's funny, and I did break his heart, and he realized, realizes now that that's not how life works. But I think there is this part in us where we want to believe in something. We want to wish, we want to believe, we want to have faith. And the question then becomes, where do we get it, or how do we get faith? And in these stories of Jesus interacting with people, oftentimes what happens is we see genuine faith. I feel like Jesus is often sort of showing us what it looks like to follow him and to live by faith. So this question of how do we get it, how do we get faith, right? It's, a, it's an elusive word. It's a word that we throw around, and I think there's a lot of these words that surround the church that we struggle to define. Like, what does faith even mean? Does it mean I, like, shut myself in a dark room, close the door, 
and hope and pray that God makes me a more faithful person. Um, I think what we're going to find out as we go through this series is that the way that we get faith is we get it by experiencing Jesus over and over again in our lives. And so um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 if you want to turn there. We're going to look at the story. There's actually two people that want to encounter Jesus in this story. And one of them gets it. <laughs> one of them just, they experience Jesus. They, they walk away and their life has been totally changed. But the other person misses it. Just tragically, totally misses it. But they both pursue Jesus. We see in this story, they both go hard after him. One of them gets it. The other one doesn't. And so Luke chapter 7 as we turn there, our big idea is faith forms as we see Jesus for who he is. Faith forms. This big question, like where does faith come from? How do I get it? Faith forms as we see Jesus for who he is. And one of the people in this story gets it. They behold Jesus for who he is, and it changes them. And so I'm praying for you as we read this text and we get into this, that you would just even be assessing your own heart. Where are you at with faith? Maybe you feel like it's missing, it's lacking, you're kind of in a slump. Maybe some of you feel like you're really full of faith because you're seeing God do crazy cool things in your life. Whatever it may be, I would love for you just to be thinking about your own heart and where you're at in faith in God right now. So Luke chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 36, and we're going to piece this up. We'll read a little, I'll explain, we'll read a little, I'll explain. Verse 36 says, one of the Pharisees asked him, being Jesus, to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. So pretty straightforward verse. We kind of read this. We gloss over it. It looks pretty simple. Actually, what's happening here is really crazy. It's really wild. So if you've read the Gospels or you're familiar, you know Jesus is often butting heads with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees saw their job was uh, to protect God's people. So the Pharisees, they had memorized a lot of the Old Testament. They were really religious. They were smart. And they knew that when we disobey God, we get punished. Because throughout human history, if you go back and you read the Old Testament, that's what happens. God's people disobey and they get punished. They go into slavery. They go into exile. They're running around through the wilderness running for their lives. And so the Pharisees are like, it is our job to make sure that we don't get this wrong. Because if we get it wrong, it's going to go badly for us. And so you can imagine Jesus coming onto the scene, constantly breaking the rules, right? Disobeying the Sabbath, doing things that are like, would make the Pharisees really, really nervous. And they saw him as a threat, and they saw him as someone who didn't honor the law that God gave. And so it is not a small thing that this guy is inviting Jesus over to his house, this guy is risking his reputation to meet Jesus. And so in that culture, if Jesus was being invited over into this Pharisee's home, he would have been seen as like the guest of honor. So he is being invited so that he can teach and teach them about God to have a theological discussion. And so this is, this is not a small thing. And if, if you can imagine with me, this is probably what this scene would look like. There would be this table in the center of this room, and it would be full of food, 
And right around the table, immediately around the table, would be some of the most influential religious leaders of the day. And they would all be reclining, no chairs back then, um, laying around eating and talking. And around the outside of the table, kind of standing room only, would have been other important but slightly less important men who uh, had a stake in religious matters. And they would all just sit around and listen to this person who's the guest of honor, who is Jesus. And so this guy is risking. Now look what happens. Verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Some of the translations say perfume there. So here's this scene, right? All these really important, religious, smart guys sitting around talking, debating, discussing theological matters, and this woman walks into the middle of that, and she's weeping. And not only is she weeping, she then pursues Jesus and starts to wash his feet with this oil, ointment, perfume, and dry them. And we, as we stand here today in the year 2019, we struggle to, to imagine how utterly shocking this would have been in that culture. So many things that are happening in this story are shocking. Before we get to that, it's important for us to know that when it says a woman of the city, what that probably means is that she is a prostitute. But in the presence of God, all she could do was weep. And there is so much that's shocking. Let me just go through five things that are really shocking about this story. Number one, sinners don't go into the homes of Pharisees. They're not welcome. That just does not happen. You don't walk into this room full of these really important religious people. Number two, women are not allowed to be in conversations about theology. This was a men-only issue at that time. Number three, people, this is still true today, I think, people don't kiss gross feet. Like, that's kind of just one that's carried on. Um, number four, expensive perfume or ointment or oil can only be poured over the head, not someone's feet. You don't waste it on dirty, nasty feet because everyone's feet back then was nasty. They walked everywhere. You don't waste that kind of stuff on someone's feet. You put it over their head. And number five, and perhaps the, the most scandalous about this story, is that women would never let their hair down in public. It would be seen as incredibly immodest and scandalous. This is so countercultural what's happening here. I, I want us to just try to understand how shocking this moment is, and yet there's still something that's more shocking. The most shocking part of this story is that Jesus didn't stop her. What everybody in that room thought he would do is say, what are you doing? Get out of here. You can't touch me. You can't be in this room. How dare you do this? Don't put your hair down. Stop. He doesn't say a word until the end when we'll get to this, when he breathes new life into her. I think the first thing that we see in this story is this woman is like, I think, demonstrating for us this beautiful picture of what genuine faith looks like. 
is that faith is rooted in a passionate pursuit of Jesus. It's rooted in a passionate pursuit of Jesus. This woman is risking everything. She will most certainly be punished in that culture for what she was doing. Very, very, very much punished, probably physically. And yet the boldness that she had to walk into that room to experience Jesus. And the same is true for us. We must pursue Jesus with passion. Now here's the good news. We don't have to manufacture that. We don't have to make that. God supplies that to us. We have to yield to it. We have to be obedient to it. He gives it. We have to walk in faith to do it, to pursue him. And I wonder as you sit here, where are you at in your pursuit of God? Are you Are you chasing hard after him? Are you making time for him? Are you practicing the spiritual disciplines? Are you praying? Are you resting? Are you doing the things that draw you near to God? Or are you coasting? Are you just kind of phoning it in? Guys, when we pursue Jesus hard, and I know it takes effort, I get that. When we pursue him, he shows up. He does things in our life. No doubt about it. And that's what we see in this story. Let's keep going. Verses 39 to 43. So this woman has burst into the scene, doing this thing that she should not be doing. In verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, that's important to note, to himself, not out loud, he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him. This is hilarious. This is one of the perks of being God. You know what people are thinking. So he's like, hey, Simon, I know you're thinking this. I'm going to go ahead and talk to you about what you're thinking right now. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he he answered, say it, teacher. And Jesus sort of takes him back to elementary school here. I love this. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One uh, owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Everything inside the heart and the mind of this Pharisee at that moment is just screaming, Jesus, don't you know who this woman is? Don't you know the life that she leads? Don't you know the things that she does? If you knew how dirty and awful and disgusting she is, you would never let her do this. What kind of prophet are you? And here's the tragedy of this guy, Simon, and the tragedy for us if we fall into this trap of being like the Pharisees. See, I don't think Simon, this Pharisee, and the other guys in this room, I don't think that they would have said, God can't heal this woman. I think they would say, yeah, God has the power to do whatever God wants to do. Right? He has the ability to heal her and to redeem her. But I think the part they refuse to believe is that he would want to. Like, why would you want God to do this for this filthy, disgusting woman? She is so far gone. She is so vile. There's just no way. That's the real tragedy. That's the real sin of the Pharisees. See, misplaced faith or this 
Pharisee faith, it's, it, it ends up re- rejecting the very nature of God and why it's so dangerous for us to avoid that. It ends up rejecting the grace and the mercy and the very character of God because Jesus looked at this woman and everyone else could just see all the rules that she was breaking. Everyone was just blown away at how wrong all of her actions were and what Jesus saw was someone who was hurting and need healed, needed healed. And so I think for us, guys, our, our faith, it can become so subtly. I don't know if we necessarily set out to do this like on purpose, but I think it can become so subtly about our spiritual performance. And when we start doing well and we're checking off the boxes and we're going to church and we're having daily devotional times and we're following the rules and we're not doing the things that we see the people around us do, we end up becoming stingy with God's grace. We become like this Pharisee. And yet what Jesus saw was this person who was in desperate need of healing. Do we see people that way? Do we see people around us that way? Let's keep going in the story. Verses 44 down to 47. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. So he's, he's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. It was normal back then for people to kiss each other. It's okay. Um, But from the time that I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. I love what Jesus says to this guy. He says, look, do you see this woman? Do you see her? Don't miss this. Simon, don't miss this. This is what it means to follow me. This is what it means to enter into my kingdom. You come humble. You come broken. You come with this deep awareness that you can't work your way into my presence and into my kingdom. This woman is the model of faith. It's not you. You're following all the rules. You're doing everything right on the outside. It's not you. This is faith. This is what it looks like. This is what it does to a person. If we don't desperately need Jesus, then we will never have true faith. That's where it starts. I mean, what would make this woman do something so crazy, wildly countercultural? She knew that she needed rescued. She was well acquainted with her need. And so the second point is that faith is reflected in a humble awareness of our deep need for salvation. A humble awareness of our deep need for salvation. I think one of the things that happens is you know, for some of us who've been around the church for a while, and we can start to think that we need God less. It's almost like we, we believe this lie that we've graduated beyond the grace of God. But I will tell you that as I walk with Jesus, as I try to love my wife and love my kids and serve my church and live my life for the sake of other people, I am more desperate 
for Jesus when I'm honest. I'm not saying that I always follow him obediently, that I'm always full of faith, but if I'm just honest about my circumstance, I, I am desperate for Jesus more and more. And I just wonder if some of us, we've wandered from that, and we start to think that we're just kind of doing it on our own, that we're doing okay, and that we don't need Jesus. I pray that you would come face to face with the fact that you are desperately in need of Jesus today, no matter where you are, no matter how long you've walked with him. Faith is reflected in a humble awareness of our need. And then verse 48, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Who is this? It's God. God is there. Jesus is the incarnate God. And he declares what's something that only God can do. Your sins are forgiven. He gave this woman more than a new reputation, even more than a new start. He gave this woman a new identity. She will be known from that moment forward as a daughter of the king. The third point is that faith is rewarded with redemption and with new life. When we come humble, when we pursue God, when we come humble, we are rewarded with new life. And I'm not talking about material reward. I'm talking about we get Jesus, who we need more than anything else. We get the thing that we were made for and that we need more than anything else. We get Jesus, and this is how faith forms. This is how faith grows in us because we experience this lavish grace and mercy of God over and over and over again, and it draws us in, and we trust a little bit more, and we risk a little bit more as we receive it. And so I, I wonder, do you see yourself in this woman? Maybe your life is like a total wreck right now. It, you feel like it's spinning out of control and you're really, really, really desperate. You know that you need a change. Do you see Jesus here? He is astounding in mercy. He is lavish in grace. And he wants to speak new life over you. The truth is, all of us should relate to her because we're all like her. We were like her before we knew Jesus and before we made that commitment to follow him and to be one of his disciples if we've made that decision, but that's still true of all of us. We never, ever graduate beyond the need for the grace of God. When we come humble, Jesus will never reject us. That's what he wants from us. He doesn't want our spiritual performance. He doesn't want us to bring our list of all the good things that we've done and all the ways that we've tried to score brownie points with him. What he wants is for you and me to just go to him and say, my life is jacked up and I'm doing the things I don't want to do and I'm sorry. Will you give me new life? Will you breathe life back into me? Will you forgive me? Will you heal me? Will you save me? That's what he wants and when we experience that time and time and time again, it changes us. And he becomes the thing that we want and we become men and women who walk by faith. Do you see yourself though, maybe a little bit in the Pharisee? You're out policing everybody else's morality. 
You're watching everybody else to see what they're doing and stacking yourself up next to them. You've become stingy with the grace of God. Do you need today maybe to repent of your religiousness? Is that... Is that happening inside of your heart? I pray that even this day, that you would just lay that down. That as you see this portrait of our Savior King, Jesus, in this story, you would recognize, I'm, I'm honestly like that Pharisee. God, would you change my heart? It is our desire as a church to be a church full of men and women who are full of faith in increasing measure, who risk, who risk like this woman risked, who do hard things, who walk by faith and not by sight. And the question becomes, how do we get there? And it's simple. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And so that's my prayer. May we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We took the whole summer and we looked at Hebrews 11, all these stories of people from the Old Testament who walked with God, and then you get to the end of all those stories, and the author of Hebrews in 12 at the beginning says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Guys, here is the good news. We don't have to manufacture it. We don't have to sit in a dark room with worship music playing and just hope and pray that maybe faith will somehow be given to us. What we have to do is go to Jesus over and over again and declare to him our need, acknowledge our brokenness, and receive from him. We have to not make it on our own. We have to behold the beauty of our king and to experience him time and time again. And I pray that that our lives would be marked by that, that we would be known as men and women who don't just talk a bunch about God or know a bunch of things about God, but we would be men and women who walk with him, who experience him, who go to him humbly time and time again and receive out of the unending riches that he has for us. And one of the ways that God gave us to remember him, to not forget him, is communion. And so we're going to move into a time of communion. We have stations set up up there if you're in the top and all around this room in the back. And over the next few songs, we're just going to remember what Jesus did for us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So in communion, we are looking back, and we are remembering that our God did not leave us in our broken state. We remember that Jesus put on skin and he, he walked amongst us. The eternal God who knows no limitations, who is before all of time, he came and he dwelled with us. And he taught us and he spoke life into us and then he went silently to the cross for us and then he rose victorious over the cross. So we are remembering this God of ours who loves us <laughs> more than we deserve, so much more. But we're also remembering that he will return. It says that you know, when we take this bread and we drink the cup, 
we proclaim his death until he comes again. So we're not only just looking back in communion, we're looking forward to the day when we will see him and we will be made like him. And so as you take communion, I would, I would urge you to assess your heart and bring to God those things in your life that are preventing you from walking by faith. Maybe this stinginess has crept up in you. Maybe you've forgotten your need for him. Would this be a moment right now this morning where you would be honest and you would declare to Jesus again, I need you. I need your life. Would you give it to me? And we know with full confidence that he will give even more generously than we can imagine. Let's pray.